Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 20, as we look together at this next stage in the life of Abraham. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Genesis chapter 20. From there Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech. And also healed his wife and female slaves. So that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. 
because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word, that you would show to us your grace. We thank you, O Lord, for your servant Abraham, and for what you have recorded in your eternal word about his life. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's something that happens as we grow older. As the years go by in our marriages and as our children grow up and get older and older and begin first to walk and then to talk and to speak and to think and to interact with others, there's that interesting phenomenon of watching your child and seeing yourself. Especially when you see your child get angry, be short with others, not listen, make a certain rude turn of phrase. And you look, and in your heart of hearts, you know, I know where he learned that. That's my habit. That's what I do. And it crystallizes for, I think, every believing parent that we are strangers and pilgrims and that if we think we have it all together all of the time, that one moment can remind us that we too are still pilgrims on the road of grace. That's what's happening to Abraham this morning. He doesn't have a child yet, but he is about to experience a recurrence of a bad habit, of a nurtured sin, to see it in all its ugly detail. And so this morning I would like us to see three things from chapter 20 and this interesting, almost repeated story of Abraham. First, I would like us to see the destructive power of sin. Sin is more destructive than you think it is. The second thing I would like us to see is the greatness of God's grace. And if sin is more destructive than we think it is, God's grace is also greater than we think it is. And the third thing that we will see is the glory of God in His work. The destructiveness of sin, the greatness of God's grace, and the glory of God seen. In his work. Let's begin then by looking at the destructive power of sin. We see this in sin's hard grip upon Abraham. Now remember the story where we are. Abraham is moving on, we see in verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev. And that is Old Testament for he went south from the promised land. Abraham has moved on perhaps because he just simply could not remain in the same place and look off to the side and see the smoke still rising from Sodom and Gomorrah. He may have thought this is a perfect time to find a bit of a change of scenery, to not be reminded of that wickedness and the destruction. And so he goes off to the southwest to Gerar. It is, in your mind's eye, about halfway between 
Israel and Egypt. It is just west of Beersheba. And he wanders in this area, and we are again reminded of his status in the world. He sojourns in Gerar. He is an immigrant. He is subject to their laws. He is not a citizen. He has no rights. We also recall that Abraham has reached what seems to be a spiritual height. He has been given the promise of God. He has interceded for Sodom and preserved Lot's life through his prayers. And the promise of a son is about to be fulfilled. He knows the day. He even knows the name. Isaac. And now, here we go again. Do you read verse 2 and does it just make you shake your head? You get a, a pit in your stomach. Do you shift uncomfortably in your seat as you see this giant of the faith go and say to his sister, now, or say to his wife, excuse me, Sarah, she's my sister. And we sit and we say, this is bad enough, Abraham, but didn't you learn the last time? Why are you repeating this again? Now, I have to tell you that some find this repetition so unbelievable that they use this as proof to attack the Bible. They say, obviously, there are sources here. Someone wrote chapter 20, and someone wrote the other chapter, chapter 12, and, and it's a story that has maybe one common root, and some compiler put this together when he was fashioning the Bible. And yet I ask you to use some common sense. Have you ever seen or have you ever done the same sin twice? Well, of course you have. And the details are all different. Pharaoh is nothing like Abimelech. At the end of the incident with Pharaoh, Abraham is sent packing. Here he's invited to stay. Here the reason for the naming of Sarah as a sister is given. There are details sufficient to show that it is different. It is very believable. Because you see, if we're honest with ourselves, our sins are not punctuated, unique events. They are patterns that fill our lives, that must be rooted out by the power of God's Spirit. And that's what Abraham is experiencing. You see, Abraham is indeed a righteous man, but he is not perfect. And that makes him the perfect example of justification by faith for Paul. Paul knows all these stories. Paul knows you can read all these stories. He is telling you that it is a good thing that we see Abraham struggling with sin because that means that his righteousness does not depend upon himself, but upon God. Abraham is a perfect example to us that sin is hard to get rid of. Have you come to grips with that fact in your own life? There's something else here about this sin. Sin is hard to get rid of, not just when it is enticing. I think sometimes many of us think of sin something like 
chocolate cake when we're on a diet. It's just so good. And we can't resist it. And we want to have just a little piece. Okay, well, maybe a slice. Well, maybe a second. And that's what we think sin is like. It's something that it's hard to get rid of because it's so enticing and and good. But you see, this shows us that sin is hard to get rid of even when there's no goodness in it. It's just a habit. It's a, it's a way of thinking that has not been rooted out by the power of God's Word. And that's what Abraham is stuck in. It has a grip on him. You see, others have these kinds of sins as well. So the next time that you are tempted to blast someone for getting angry when they shouldn't, or for being impatient, or for not being completely full in their disclosure, you have to understand that some people are dealing with sins and they're hard. And then you need to remember that some people is you. And that you deal with these sins and others need to bear with you as you are in the grip of your own sins that are unique. Sin is hard. It has a hard grip upon Abraham, but it also has hard consequences here for Abimelech and for his people. One of the great difficulties and dangers of sin is that it cannot stay restrained. You cannot keep it penned in. Men, your sin will find itself out in your families. You cannot keep it close to the breast. It will affect your marriage. It will change your children. It will cause heartache and grief throughout your family and your workplace and your relationships. And you see, that's what happens here. Women, you cannot speak to other people and gossip and nurture a sin. Your children will hear. They will see. They will be affected. You will be alienated from friends. Children, you cannot nurture your own sin and say, well, I can grow out of it later. The damage that is done in families with siblings can last decades, can't it? And you see here, Abimelech unwittingly is in the destructive path of sin. Abraham was not thinking about what would happen. He had compartmentalized his sin. He had thought, well, bad things happened the last time, but I can keep square corners around my sin this time. I can stop it from affecting others. I can stop it from taking over my life. Do you think that way? Is one of your ways of thinking like the commercial? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? No, it doesn't. Sin goes everywhere that you go. You cannot compartmentalize your life. And you see, sin has an effect on others. Abraham brings this sin into Abimelech's kingdom and wounds are closed up. Abimelech is stricken with some nameless illness. But it is sufficient that he is laid bare. He is unable to interact with his family and with his harem. And perhaps even we might see and ask the question, will the promise of God fail? Because you know that 
Sarah is supposed to give birth to a son, but now she is taken off by a king. Has Abraham's sin caused the destruction of the promise? Will the Messiah not be born? Will all nations not be blessed because of Abraham's sin? This is also, I fear, sometimes how we can view our own sin. We have opportunities to witness to others and we blow it and we think we are responsible for sending people to hell because we missed our chance. And if we didn't do it, God can't. Many parents spend many sleepless nights because of that lie of the devil. That it all depends on you. But you see, this text teaches us another thing. For all the blackness of the destruction and destructive power of sin, it shows us the shining light of the greatness of God's grace. Have you ever noticed that one of the greatest phrases in the Bible is a short one? But God. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But God. You were lost in wickedness and without hope. But God. You see, that's what is happening here now for Abraham. God's grace intervenes here first in the person and family of Abimelech. The promise would fail if it depended upon Abraham. Destruction would rain down on all of the human race. Abraham has blown it all, but God will not allow it. He breaks in with an exclamation, Behold! Abimelech, have I got your attention? God breaks in to a sin-destructive arena and showers His grace. Through the Word of God, He sets things aright. And Abimelech says, Lord, will you kill the innocent along with the guilty? It's almost word for word what Abraham says to the Lord about Sodom. Abimelech fears the Lord and he claims his innocence and his integrity. Now, this is, of course, a relative thing, but God knows that he has been innocent, that he has not taken upon himself a sin. God knows this for absolute certain because, you see, God is the one who ensured that it would happen. He says to Abimelech, I know that you are innocent. I know you have not sinned in this because I have prevented you from doing so. God was protecting Sarah in all of this. Abraham didn't believe that God would. And even though Abraham was unfaithful, even though Abraham was unbelieving, God still kept his word and his promise. Is that your view of God? Or are you caught on a treadmill where you think God will protect you, God will keep his promises if you keep your end of the bargain? The scripture here teaches us that that's not the case. God is always faithful. When he says he will never leave us, never forsake us, he means it. And if we think about it, Abraham needlessly worried. All of this difficulty that he has caused is because he did not trust God to do what he said he would do. 
And so God breaks in, He intervenes, and He stops before sin gets worse. This is what He does in the world. And He teaches Abimelech and us eternal truth, the eternal truth that God hates adultery. Now, we live in a land that delights in adultery. We spoke last week of the sinful nature of our country, but this is also applicable. Our magazines are filled with bright and peppy stories of gossip, of how men cheat on their wives, and wives cheat on their husbands. Oh, and aren't they a cute couple together? Well, so they've got a couple of kids and they're, ma- and they're married to someone else, but don't they just look great standing together on the red carpet? God has another word for this. He says, you are a dead man because you have taken another man's wife. How would that affect the way we live? If God spoke to us and said, you are a dead man because you have violated your marriage covenant. God does speak to us that way. Right here in Genesis chapter 20. And so there is a danger if Abraham still, or excuse me, if Abimelech still disobeys. But by grace, God has intervened, sparing Abraham from himself. The second kind of grace that we see here is a confrontational grace. God uses Abimelech to confront Abraham. Now, again, think about this. Abraham is the prophet of God. He is the intercessor for Sodom. He is the bearer of the promise. And he is afraid, he tells us, because this is a land where they don't fear God. And God turns the tables on Abraham. He takes the man whom Abraham believed had no fear of God to teach him a lesson about sin. And he asks him, Three very probing questions here in verse 10. Or excuse me, in verse 9 and then in verse 10. First he says, what have you done to us? And then second he says, and how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me this great sin? And then third he says, what did you see that you did this thing? And you see, in these three questions, Abimelech points out the sin of Abraham that is a sin that plagues you and me. It is the sin of self-centered thinking. Abraham went in and all his thought was, what will this do to me? What will happen to me? How will it be for me? And he does not think about the others. He completely passes that by. And so Abimelech challenges him. He says, why are you doing this? Didn't you think? Didn't you ask what it would do to me and my kingdom? Didn't you look around? What facts did you see that would cause you to make this bad of a decision? Abraham answers these three questions with three excuses. And the excuses are so bad, he needs to get lesson from an 11 or 12 year old about how to make up a good excuse. His first excuse is, well, well, I was afraid. I wasn't sure if anyone here feared God. And so what Abraham is doing is, in his sin, he is falsely accusing Abimelech. 
Because we know Abimelech did fear God. He hears the Lord's voice in verse 4. We know that when he, res- when he speaks to his people, they respond in fear in verse 9. So his first excuse is, I was afraid. I didn't bother really to look into it, but I was afraid. And if we're honest with ourselves, we sin often through fear, don't we? We take things that don't belong to us. Or we fail to be generous to others because we're afraid for our future. Right? We lie to people because we're afraid what might happen if we told them the truth. You see, these excuses are just as lame for us as they are for Abraham. The second thing that he comes up with is, I did not realize, you'll forgive me, I did not realize that Abimelech had attended the Palestinian school of law. Because he says, I hop my well, wait a minute here, technically... She is my sister. Not exactly. I mean, I know I didn't tell you that she has a different mother. I didn't tell you that we're married. But, you know, technically, how often do you use that excuse? Well, you know, as a matter of fact, really the case is. Well, technically, if you look at it, Obedience to the Lord is a matter of the heart, not a matter of the technicality. Give that up. And I say that not just to teens, although teens are great on technicalities. You told me to pick up the things in my room. Yes, and you just piled them all on your bed. Well, I picked them up, though. Technically, they're picked up. Adults, men and women, husbands and wives are good at that, too, being technical. The third excuse he gives is, well, you know, this is just the way we're used to doing it. He said, we made this compact years ago before we came into the land. Now, this is 25, 30 years ago that I said, anywhere we go, you'll say, you're my brother. And there's a way in this in which he blames God. You see, it's God's, fa- it's God's fault that I live life like a nomad. It's God's fault that I have to go other places and I don't have a land of my own. And so every place I go, I have to make up for God's shortcomings. He realized what a dangerous world it was. So, I know what I'm doing here. Do you see how foolish that sounds? And yet we do that every day, don't we? We think we know better than God. You see, the heart of Abraham's sin was a self-centered lack of trust in the Lord. But God breaks in by His grace. God will not leave Abraham alone. God will not let Abraham get what he deserves. God breaks in and shows His glory in His work. He preserves his people. The first thing we see is that God never left Abimelech. Do you see that? He was with him always, protecting him, even though Abimelech might have been tempted to sin after a greater fashion. God had protected him. And sometimes God protects us in ways we don't expect. 
Do you know how God saved Abimelech from himself? He gave him a disease. How would you like that? Would you appreciate your pastor if your pastor said, you know, I'm praying for you that the Lord would help you, that he would really strike you with hypertension. I think the best thing that could happen to you is you could have a heart attack. That's crazy talk. But you see, God works however he will. And sometimes the bad things in life are actually God breaking into our lives to teach us lessons, to preserve us from ourselves, to teach us to kill sin, to teach us to trust Him. God never left Sarah either. She was in danger from circumstances. She was in danger from the sin of others like Abraham, and yet God preserved her and her reputation. Do you see in verse 16? Abimelech gives Abraham mighty gifts and he says this will show that you have integrity in the eyes of everyone but God also never left Abraham he knew Abraham's frame he knew he was tempted to sin in this area he knew he was short and yet he buttresses up Abraham by his grace He is preserved in spite of himself. The last thing that we see is that not only does God preserve his people, he does it by transforming sinners. He transforms Abimelech. It was God who kept his integrity and makes Abimelech the kind of man that he is eager to show what is right and just and true. Abimelech gives these gifts to Abraham because he wants everyone to know that God has preserved him. But perhaps the biggest person who is transformed here is the one who at the beginning of the story we might have thought needed the least help. And that's Abraham. We're reminded that he is still a man we are reminded that God is still using him. He is a prophet of God, we are told. He is a man of ups and of downs. He is a man who has sin that he needs to kill and who gets the best of him at times. This is the second time that he will fall to this particular sin. What kind of a man is Abraham? What kind of a man is Abraham in God's sight? Is Abraham the kind of man who falls short, who drops the ball, whom God shakes his head at, whom God thinks, why in the world did I pick him? Let me pick somebody else. Do you feel that way? When you say to yourself, for an hour, I will not do that sin. I will not sin that way. No, I won't. God... Protect me from that sin. Then 45 minutes later, you say, oh, I did it again. Is there hope for Abraham? Is there hope for you? Turn with me as we conclude to the book of Hebrews. Who is Abraham? Is he a man who is known as one 
who was afraid, one who would not trust the Lord, one who fell down. Abraham is known for all eternity. The judgment of God upon Abraham is this. Verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And it was he who had received the promises. You see, in Hebrews 11, we don't hear one whiff of this story. All we hear is of Abraham, the giant of faith who had been preserved by God. This is how the Lord looks upon His children. He has transformed them by from sinners who are caught in the clutches of sin to those who are empowered by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord does that for His people. Praise Him for it. Trust Him for it. Seek Him out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning that You have given to us this great story of faith. Faith in spite of sin. Faith in spite of unbelief. For that faith, O Lord, depends upon You, not upon us. And so we ask this morning, Lord, that You would meet with us as Your people, that You would remind us that we are Your children in Your power under Your authority. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of the almighty, eternal, wonderful Counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.